Welcome everyone to the I Saved That podcast. I'm your host, Judy Thompson, joined in the Ava recording studio with Ava's own Blake Hodgkiss. Blake, how are you? Hey, Judy. How's it going? Good. You're about to have a birthday. I know. (laughs) Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by AccuVane, a global leader in near-infrared vein visualization. And joined in today's show are AccuVane's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tom Hopkins. We also have Tom Sutton, AccuVane's Vice President of Marketing, and Cheryl Wozniak, AccuVane's Director of Marketing. Thank you so much for joining our show today. Welcome, welcome. We're excited to have you. Well, Dr. Hopkins, I'd like to start with you. First and foremost, tell us a bit about yourself and how you became passionate about visualization technologies. Judy, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to be here. Uh, very excited to be part of this uh, team and, and frankly, a little bit starstruck to be on your podcast. I've been a fan for a long time and, you know, just feel like a little bit like um, I'm on TV for the first time. So I appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. I, you know, I, I initially went into healthcare because I wanted to improve patient outcomes. I wanted to try to find ways to reduce the cost of care. Uh, and I wanted to do so in a way that impacted the health of populations. Uh, I spent the first, you know, 15 years of my career trying to find ways to do that in limited scope, limited scale pilots at various university hospitals, um, and then in, in geographic settings, regional ge- geographic settings. And you know, I became really passionate about this subject because I'm an anesthesiologist. I see uh, peripheral intravenous lines placed every day, both in the operating room and on the floors. I see the uh, ramifications of issues that come up. I see the rewards that patients experience when they uh, when they have a great PIV line placed and um, and they're able to get uh, medications they need, life-saving medications, and and the treatment that they need uh, efficiently and in, in, in a cost-effective way. Uh, so. You know, I've, I've always been very interested in quality, uh, and I've seen this as a place where, as the most commonly performed invasive procedure performed in healthcare in the United States, it's, it's certainly an opportunity to, to improve the quality, the efficiency, the effectiveness of the care that we provide. Absolutely. So we're so excited to have you guys on the show today to talk about these visualization technologies that can make assessment and insertion not only safer and faster, but also more precise, for sure. And I think I can speak for our group here that we all agree that blind sticks should be something that we used to do, kind of akin to maybe concentric circles on on doing disinfection. But Blake, what do you think? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, the importance of the physical assessment of patients, including the assessment for the placement of vascular access devices is so important. And Dr. Hopkins, I really wanted to hear your opinion about that, the role of assessment and how that impacts quality outcomes for patients and their satisfaction, how important visualization is in that. Yeah, I think that's an incredible question. And it's one that I think impacts us uh, at the bedside and then impacts us as health system leaders uh, nationally with respect to how we think about population health management. Uh, I think there are a lot of pieces to that question. The the first one is around education, right? So how are we approaching training uh, clinicians, providers? 
healthcare uh, employees about the importance of where and how and when peripheral intravenous sign is placed. And more importantly, perhaps, the significance of where it's placed. And, uh, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that we don't really think about it. On the medical school side, uh, peripheral intravenous access is something that's kind of learned in the clinical years as a secondary afterthought kind of thing. You know, we don't get a lot of didactic train on, training on it. We certainly don't get a lot of formal clinical training. We're just sort of given the tools that we need and, and we're sent to the bedside and, and we sort of learn by failing. I think on the nursing side, there's a far more structure in place. There's far more proactive thought around ensuring that the care that folks provide is evidence-based and aligns with ABA and INS uh, guidelines. Uh, however, with the pandemic, uh, with turnover in nursing, with, uh, with folks leaving nursing, there's definitely an education gap. And the most recent data on this suggests that you know, over 60% of nurses that are coming into the field don't have any formal training on peripheral intravenous access. And so to your point, that means that they don't know uh, all the different things that they need to know to be successful with placement. And they frankly don't really know very much about the importance of assessment. So it's not just, you know, putting a tourniquet on and identifying the first thing that you see and placing uh, or attempting to place the PIB there of, of any size. It's about thinking strategically, proactively about where the line should be placed based on what the use is and how long the intended duration of therapy is, ensuring that you've got the uh, not only the appropriate placement, but you've got the appropriate vessel. And then, and then doing everything that you can to make sure that the procedures perform sterilely in accordance with evidence-based guidelines in order to achieve success. So I think that assessment piece is critically important. I think it's often overlooked, and I think it's a reflection of an underlying gap in the education process that uh, has been augmented by, uh, by the pandemic. And it's interesting too, because uh, you find, at least in my practice, like with nursing schools and education, um, a lot of it's on the job nowadays, you know, and I think the, the move uh, for the association for vascular access is really how do we get to people before it becomes an on-the-job training mode of placing IVs and learning this, providing standardized care that's evidence-based practice, like you had mentioned early on, so that they can understand the importance of uh, good vascular access care, insertion of devices that are safe for patients and improve outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that clinical, that clinical training model was, was okay for a while uh, because we had really senior nurses in place that were very experienced that trained everyone. And frankly, they trained me, right? You know, they, they, they saw me coming out of medical school, not really knowing what I was doing. And, they, and somebody, you know, could see that and they grabbed me and made sure that I was doing the right thing. Uh, the unfortunate reality, again, with the pandemic is that you know, a lot of those nurses are no longer there. And I think the most recent statistics showed that like another 17% of them are going to retire in the next 10 years. So you've lost sort of that like senior mentorship role in a lot of places on the wards. And, um, and it, it makes the need for that more structured education earlier on even more important. Absolutely. And I think to your point, even though the, the older, more experienced nurses have been training people, we, we learned in the see one, do one, teach one mode, and it wasn't evidence-based 
I think I know we published back in 2018, um, myself and a, another group, we did a, a bit of research on it. And the training they got even back in the day was, was scant at best. And I think most of the folks got less than an hour training on the most invasive procedure in healthcare. So even though we had people that were great at it, we might still be putting them in the hand for caustic medications that can't, there's not enough blood flow to dilute vancomycins and genomycins back in the day and other nasty stuff, Phenergans, things of that nature. It wasn't about patient outcomes. It was about, I'm either really awesome at getting access the first time, or I could be the person who could get the IV where other people couldn't. And then there was the other crowd that, you know, relied on those people with more experience. It wasn't about the outcome. It was about the success of inserting. I remember so. back in the ED days where before yeah. I, before I was in vascular access and knew better that I was proud when I could get one in a pinky or thumb. And now it's like, oh my God, what did I do? Back in the day, back in the day. Well, with that little confession of poor practice, let's take a quick little break and hear from our sponsor, Accuvane. Accuvane is the global leader in near-infrared vein visualization. Accuvane's mission is to improve proficiency in vein assessment and access to help avoid patient complications while improving workflow efficiency and the patient-nurse experience. Accuvane is committed to providing the right tools and training to help healthcare workers master the skill of peripheral IV access. Accuvane, the essential first step in peripheral IV access success. To learn more, visit www.accuvane.com. Now back to the show. Let's talk a bit, little bit more about near-infrared vein visualization and the workflow, the process with it. It does improve speed and efficiency, even if you have to go get another machine. So Tom Sutton, maybe Cheryl, you guys want to weigh in? Uh, sure, I'll take a start. Uh, thanks, Judy. Uh, when, it, when it comes to near-infrared, it, it really is, as you said, a time saver. Uh, and one of the big things is if you use it to make that initial scan, you can quickly go up and down uh, the arm, preferably the forearm, as you mentioned, get away from the points of flexation, the hand, the wrist. Uh, but you can, you can use this device to quickly scope out where you have a straight path on the vein, uh, down to about 10 millimeters typically, and see where the branches are. It, you can use it by uh, wiping, using your, your finger to wipe away from the heart and, and, and see the, the, the vein and the refill rate, getting back to that critical piece you just mentioned about, is there blood flow adequate to dilute the medicine I'm placing in the patient? because you really want to make sure you're getting a good flow and not all veins that you can see have good flow. Uh, so these are all great points that help you really not only identify more targets quickly, but to really quickly qualify those target veins so that you can really set out, choose the best spot, avoid a valve, avoid a bifurcation, find a straight landing strip for the catheter to go into and have a much better foundation for a successful first stick attempt and a long full therapy dwell time. That's what this is all about. It gives you so much more ability to make an informed, great placement of that IV catheter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know there's going to be times where near infrared is not the right tool. So Dr. Hopkins, 
what happens? What do you do in your practice when near infrared, we've got a patient that might be of, of greater adipose and we can't use near infrared for whatever reason. It doesn't, it doesn't negate the use of ultrasound. I think these are tools that it's not one or the other. Talk to us a little bit about near infrared versus ultrasound and when you would use this versus that, because like, back to it, we want no blind sticks. I don't want people driving with their eyes closed and I don't want them poking people with, without looking at where they're going to go. Yeah, no, this is an exceptional point. And I think one that, um, that really resonates with me uh, clinically, uh, operationally. And I think one that we as a larger healthcare team need to think critically about over the course of the next 10 years, if we're going to be successful. I think ultimately this is a continuum of care. Like you said, this is not a light switch on and off, a black white issue. It's a um, it's an area of gray, right? And there are certain tools that are right for certain situations. Ultimately, I think with respect to how I approach my clinical practice, and I think what is most evidence-based is to make an assessment with the visualization tool in the most least invasive way possible. What makes sense from an evidence perspective is to go for the least invasive option using some type of vein visualization. And I think that's where near infrared comes in. Um, if you don't see anything superficially, there are no good access points that are aligned with the therapy that you're trying to provide, then I think transitioning to ultrasound and, uh, and, uh, and leveraging that tool set and that skill set uh, to place the PIV is the next best option. And Using that as a way to avoid uh, escalating the central access, I think, is critically important and is a uh, is an improvement for patients and and, uh, and and overall healthcare quality. Spot on, exactly. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. So to, to that point, I really think you know when we look at vascular access teams, we typically treat the ultrasound machine as like the gold standard for care. But we're not the only ones placing vascular access devices in hospitals, you know, and this is, you know, what about the rest of the people? How do I, how do I minimally interrupt people's workflow, right? Now I've, in my clinical practice, I've been a nurse for just about 20 years now, and I've used it in multiple ERs using vein visualization like near, and I will say it is the least disruptive to someone's workflow. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, vascular access teams use ultrasound. That's fine, but they can't place always all the lines everywhere in the hospital. And oftentimes people are need that access early, like in the ER, maybe your vascular access team doesn't have 27 people on it where they can do all the lines in the hospital, but some smaller organizations, this is a great opportunity for vascular access specialists or people who are placing lines with ultrasound to champion the use of near infrared or other alternative vein visualization technologies and assist staff in improving their care and how they're how how they can place lines in you know when the team isn't on our you know like they're not on shift uh, for instance working in a team that you know, only services, you know, the day to mid afternoon hours, you may have that gap in time where people can't wait for a line and having people who are qualified to take care of patients in place uh, lines using near infrared or other visualization technologies. Let's, 
that's an important piece to getting there. How do we get to the no blind sticks component? So, you know, it definitely has its place. We're not the only ones placing these vascular access devices. Peripheral IVs are so important. Like Dr. Hopkins said earlier, the most invasive, most commonly performed invasive procedure in healthcare today, and that needs to be better. True. I just finished writing part of the PIV curriculum that we're giving to, to schools, um, universities. And one of them is on visualization technologies. And we talk about the difference between palpation, near infrared, and ultrasound. And I believe everyone coming out of school needs to learn near infrared. I don't believe everyone coming out of school needs to learn ultrasound. It's a far greater learning curve. So we, we're encouraging these students that are coming out of school, becoming newly licensed clinicians to look for opportunities to learn the near infrared technologies because it, it should be the new thing. And I don't believe everyone in town needs to learn ultrasound guided insertions. This takes us to a good spot to hear a word from our sponsor, Accuvane. As an industry pioneer in the development of novel medical technologies, Accuvane develops simple, innovative solutions to improve vascular access outcomes and experience for patients undergoing PIV therapy or other treatments. The company has developed the only patented, real-time, eye-safe laser-based device, the AV500, which uses near-infrared technology to help clinicians see superficial veins, valves, and bifurcations for better informed site assessments and accurate needle placement. The AV500 also helps limit the clinician's exposure to infectious diseases while improving efficiency and reducing IV complications. Accuvane also provides customized training and education support to address and alleviate nursing stress and anxiety and assistance with onboarding new staff. Accuvane, the essential first step in peripheral IV access success. To learn more about Accuvane and see a demonstration of the AV500 in action, visit www.accuvane.com. And we're back. Dr. Hopkins, so we've been talking about bridging the gap here in healthcare and how do we improve visualization technologies and practice and how do we get to that no blind sticks? So review for us how near-infrared technology allows for better site selection, obstacle avoidance, longer catheter indwell time, and supports vein preservation and peripheral IV best practices. Blake, thanks so much for the question. Uh, multiple components to that. I'm going to try my best to answer some of it. Uh, I know that I won't get to all of it, and I, I hope that I, I do a reasonable job of addressing some of it. But a couple important points to remember to put this in into perspective. Like, and, and I know we talked a little bit about this earlier, but you know, most commonly performed procedure in the U.S. Over 300 million peripheral intravenous catheters placed. You know, the big thing about it is that on average, it requires like over two attempts per placement of each PIV, uh, which is incredible when you think about the, the overall volume of catheters that we're putting in and the amount of catheters that we're using. So, you know, the other piece of this that I found so intriguing as I dove deep into the data on this is that, you know, 43% of the total IV costs are done uh, are on patients that require three or more attempts. 
So we know that it's a common procedure. We know that we aren't as successful as we should be or as we could be with the first attempt. And then we know that each subsequent attempt dramatically increases the complication rate and increases the total cost of care. And because of the volume of the procedure, even though these are cheap supplies, uh, we're looking at a cost of like, you know, over $10 billion annually in the U.S., which is pretty incredible. Thinking critically back to your question about how does lean visualization improve success, improve clinical outcomes, reduce the cost of care? I think a lot of it revolves around how we can leverage the tool to see things that we don't normally see to allow us to make better decisions about the veins that we select to be more successful with the attempt once, once we've selected a vein and to ensure that we minimize the risk of downstream complications. So I'll try to like break all that down. In the beginning with the appropriate assessment, we know that like if you place a PIV, even if you're successful, if you place it in the, in the wrong place, um, and uh, as an anesthesiologist, I put a lot of PIVs in the hand, uh, in the AC at flexion points, we know that they fail more often than uh, than vein uh, than PIVs that are placed in the forearm. So, you know, using vein visualization to identify the appropriate place to place an IV, and then there are certain things that you can do with near infrared that you can't do with the naked eye, even if you see a great vein and you happen to select the right one in, in the forearm, and and that has to do with being able to identify valves uh, using various uh, clinical assessment techniques that use near infrared and avoiding those valves. Now, going back to the education piece, when I, when I was in school, no one really talked to us about this. On the wards, we know that it's true. We know that we've placed PIVs up against the valve or through a valve, and we know that that's resulted in infiltration, either at the time of placement or failure at the time of placement or downstream infiltration. And so identifying those valves and avoiding them can dramatically reduce the failure rate, uh, reduce cost of care, improve quality, reduce those complications you were referencing earlier. And so those are kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts around where I think the, uh, the tool can be, uh, be helpful with those things, even beyond what we normally think of with respect to near-infrared and to just kind of showing us where the veins are. When you were talking about cost, the cost of PIV failure is just outrageous in my mind. Any other business in the world, if it takes 2.18 times to get your car fixed before it's fixed, you're not going back. People accept that as okay. Oh, they didn't get it the first go. They're going to have to go again. Oh, I'm a hard stick. It usually takes them three times. This is outrageous that we have the technology to fix this. And yet people don't use it. They don't use it enough. And I rather passionate about this topic and I, I just want it to change so badly. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you even more about your device and so AccuVane's been in business a while. You've been making near-infrared technology for quite a while, but I've just heard about this True Center. So Cheryl, talk to me a little bit about True Center and how it, it helps with optimal site selection. Sure. Hi, Judy, and uh, thank you for having me on here today. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, AccuVane, um, AccuVane's near-infrared technology is, is what it says. It's near-infrared based, which... All of the near-infrared uh, technologies are uh, of a specific light spectrum, right? And it runs between um, light spectrums that are above the microwave, but just below the red visible light. And that's kind of where near-infrared fits in. And But what's different with AccuVane's near-infrared technology 
is that it is a real-time image. So what the clinician is seeing is actually the real image of the vein versus some of the competitive um, uh, technologies out there, which are camera-based. And they're camera-based in that they literally take a picture and reflect it back down onto the surface of the skin. And this causes a, a slight delay, and it's not an actual real image of that uh, vein, so that when a patient moves or if the vein rolls, the AccuVein's neuroinfrared technology actually picks that up and it's following. So what you're seeing is real time. And with that said, you're always wanting to try to hit the center of the vein when you're inserting that peripheral catheter. So this allows you to always be certain that you're actually hitting the center of that vein. So no matter where you're at in terms of uh, distance from the, uh, the surface of the skin, you can always be assured that you're hitting the center of that vein, where a camera-based system really relies on a specific focal distance and a point you have to be at in order to be able to capture that that rule that width of that vessel so it helps the clinician in their confidence if you will and the accuracy of hitting the uh, center of that vessel when they're inserting that peripheral catheter agree this is great it's great information i i love it when i learn a little bit more about the technology i've used the technology i played with it but um, understanding a little bit more is always fun I, I just want to pick you guys' brain one more time, the kind of the closing question. How do we affect real change to where we can get rid of blind sticks? Uh, do it as a first step, uh, essential first step we think of, of it as, as opposed to two failed attempts and then bring in the technology. Make it a standard first step assessment. It's fast, it's quick, better site selection. And I think that the word, word will get around of this is the way to go for fast, effective placement. Perfect. Thanks so much, Blake. Okay. How do we affect real change and no, getting to no blind sticks? Vascular access teams who use ultrasound also need to learn alternate technologies. They need to be the champions of training other people how to improve the care that they deliver. Simple. Okay. You know, technologies exist. People outside of vascular access teams are probably the largest percentage of people placing vascular access devices. And we need to be the ones who own improving the practice outside of our realm. Awesome. I love the differing thoughts and opinions here, and but we're going to get to all of them. I'm going to leave mine for last. Cheryl, you're up. <laughs> I think I obviously agree with Blake, and it's just a technology that is available that anybody can use. Anybody can learn to use this technology quickly and become very confident in what they're doing. I look at this as being the, as Tom mentioned, the essential first step. It's like it's like building a foundation of a house. It's a great foundation for peripheral vascular access. And it's something that should be at some point a requirement. It should be, it should be a standard, a part of a protocol. Absolutely. Okay, Dr. Hopkins, you're on the hot seat. Uh, man, this is a, a very hot seat to sit on um, because this, this is, as, we, as you referenced, it's a really uh, 
it's a really important question uh, that I think we need to answer as clinicians. Um, you know, it's, and it's not a new problem, right? It's one that we've had for a while. So, uh, so we've got to think about it a little differently to solve it. I think Blake made some really, really good points that I think are worth reemphasizing, and I'll, I'll kind of add to that. I think in healthcare, what has driven change historically and driven sustainable change is first some data. Uh, that like, hey, what we suspect at the bedside anecdotally is actually true. And I think we've got foundation of data that suggests that the use of some type of visualization device is much better than our standard practice without visualization. Uh, we need to continue to build upon that as academicians, as clinicians, and we're doing that, uh, which is good. We need to educate. Uh, so a lot of this, like 90% of it is like, hey, we know what to do. We've got these guidelines in place. We just have never really brought it across the finish line to fully integrate it into education processes and, uh, and then make sure everyone gets it. So like, so I think it starts with education, with data and education uh, and integrating, integrating these things into uh, these concepts into the education processes. And then with respect to sustainable change, what I've seen in my years of quality work is that even the best new ideas uh, novel ideas, clinically supported ideas, academically supported ideas fall short of being fully integrated into workflows if you don't consider how to effectively do that in a way that streamlines care. So Blake made the point earlier, like we've got to figure out how to make this technology available, make it efficient to use so that it's not an extra step for me. It's just as fast as my normal workflow, except it gives me more. Um, and so I think there are some, some things that we can do to help facilitate that. And then the final piece, uh, Blake also described, and I think you did a great job, and, and this is the most important one, is that we need to say openly as leaders in the field, like, we can't have every PIV placed by a, a specialist who's got advanced training in PIV placement that's got $200,000 worth of equipment with them. We just can't do that. And the pandemic showed that to us, that you know, the, the like sort of queue waiting for PIV placement by peripheral intravenous access teams got so long that it was not clinically relevant anymore. Um, so we've got to make sure that we have the capability built into every nurse uh, at the bedside to be able to place a, B, a PIV if she needs it and he or she needs it and that he or she has the tools that she needs to be successful with her at that time. Um, and I think, I think those are the kind of components that we need, you know, building the uh, academics, uh, focusing on education, standardizing education, and ensuring that our leaders in the field are, are continuing to emphasize the need for every nurse uh, to have the tools that he or she needs to be successful at the bedside uh, and have the capability, the training, the education necessary to do it. Great point from each of our guests. Tom Sutton, you mentioned increasing confidence. And I know nurses that go in and like, I'm not a good stick. I'm not a good stick. And even, you know, once they change their mindset, they all of a sudden become better as well. And Blake talking about vascular access teams, Cheryl, you making it saying it should be our standard. That's what we go to first. And Tom, you, you kind of recapped all of it as well. I, I think the way to make effective change is all of that and getting the patient knowing about technology. If patients know that they have the opportunity to have something placed with visualization technologies, whether it's near infrared or ultrasound, that will let them someone see beneath their skin, 
they're not going to allow people to poke them blindly any longer. So I think that's one of the tactics we need to use is infiltrate the patient into the patient education or patient groups or however we can do it to keep them involved and make them demand we do better. Right now, they accept 2.18 sticks on an average. That's that's just awful. But before we close, Cheryl, um, I know I, I had another little question for you about your technology itself, true center technology. And I don't know what that is. So can you give me a little bit more information on that? Sure, Judy. I think uh, I had explained to you the difference between the real-time um, image that AccuVance yeah. technology generates versus some of the competitive products out there that are more camera-based. But one other uh, real key advantage with this technology and the AccuVance patented technology is that it requires the actual near-infrared um, vein visualization device, which our device name is AV500, it requires absolutely no calibration. And that's really key because our um, most all other, I think all other devices that are out there require calibration. And if a, a user picks that up and begins to use it and doesn't even re remember to check calibration, they could actually be totally misaligned and not hit the vein at all. And that is a, one real key point we do not require calibration. It's always in calibration by virtue of the technology. After being trained, what's the learning curve? What's the average for Sally clinician in a med surge floor? I've just been trained on, on near-infrared technologies. When am I competent on average? Near-infrared can be utilized and benefits seen right away. You know, right after a training session, a brief introduction. Uh, so really in a, in a few minutes, folks can learn how to uh, hold the device about 10 inches from the, the limb, do the scan, stabilize the device on the cart arm, and uh, do a manipulation through a wipe technique and assess where the valves, bifurcations are, and immediately have more information to make a more confident, better stick. Thanks. Tom, I think that's a great answer. And just to dovetail on that, We've actually, um, over the course of the last year or so, done a great deal of work emphasizing the impact of like these quick hit education sessions on comfort, confidence, success at the bedside. And we've released some of that data already. We've got more exciting data that we're releasing at AVA this year in September on this. But the short uh, answer on it is that, yes, these targeted education sessions with the device, 15 to 20 minutes, dramatically improve confidence and success rate following those education sessions as measured by um, subjective validated uh, questionnaires that we're sending out to our uh, providers after they get back to the point of care. So uh, some really exciting information on that just to validate some of those comments. That Tom Thank you. Well, guys, this has been so much fun. You guys are all, all very knowledgeable, so helpful. It's been fun to hear about the technology and, and what it can do for our patients. So I'm grateful you're here. Blake, as always, I'm grateful you're here. I just love working <laughs> Thanks, with you. Judy. <laughs> but guys, thank you so much. So guys, don't forget, we have got our national conference from Ava in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
September 29th through October 3rd. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be the most amazing conference. I know you guys just mentioned it. So thanks for the plug, Tom, about new data coming out at AVA. But it's, uh, you'll definitely have FOMO if, you don't, if you're not there. It's going to be one of the best ones we've ever had. Thank you, everybody. I agree. We'll see you next time. I appreciate you guys and be safe. You can see the entire AVA calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. Don't miss Facebook Fridays, where we are live at noon Eastern time each week. Toss us a question or give us a like. We're on all the social media platforms. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Google Play Music. Now here comes the legal stuff. The topics discussed on the I Save That podcast are purely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decision that affects your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any information we've presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this broadcast or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without the prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.